0: All right, I'm looking at what he's done over the last week or so since I started making fun of the swinging at first pitch thing. And and let's be honest, him swinging at the first pitch, throughout his entire career, he is a better player. He's a better hitter when he takes a pitch. It's great when he jumps on first pitch, but his career numbers show better when he takes one. But since we brought it up a week and a half ago, he's gone from hitting 233 to some ridiculous, ungodly, you know, 1,000-something OPS with multiple home runs on the first pitch of the at-bat. At this point in the season, taking the first pitch, hitting two eighty three, uh, swinging at the first pitch, hitting three fifty one with four home runs and an OPS of 1,098. <laughs> and he is still swinging at the first pitch at around 40, looks like about 40, 42% of the time, if I do the quick math looking at it right here. I mean, it's that crazy, but he is... He's basically taken that to heart, and, and he's going to—I don't know if it's sustainable, but it's awesome.
1: Well, you know what? That's great. Uh, so if he's going to uh, prove you wrong, then we really should spend more opportunities trying to get guys to prove you wrong. Right. So uh, let's pick on Gavin Sheets. You know, I don't think <laughs> Gavin can do anything other than ground the ball through the left side anymore. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs>
0: Uh, this episode and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions, named one of the South Town's best in 2021. I expect it again in 2022. For Boeing walls, window wells, foundation and crack repair, sump pumps, gutter cleaning. You're trying to drain water away from the yard, protect your foundation. Give them a call 247 708 330 4466. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get money off. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Did you see the Madison Bumgarner ejection this week? It Was it the dumbest thing oh, you've ever seen?
1: Well, the video is just, it's creepy for starters, okay? I mean, it looks like the umpire, it looks like Matt Bellino got replaced by a pod person for a second there. <laughs> and he's trying to, like, you know, like he, like he he's the Borg and he's trying to assimilate Mad Bum and because he's just standing there staring at him and then rubbing his palm. Like, if somebody did that to me... I don't know how I would respond to it. I don't know if I would be like frightened or want to punch the guy or what, but it it was creepy as heck. And then when you juxtapose it with the ump on the other side who checks Hernandez's hand and a guy walks past, he's just like, you know, swipes his hand over and was like, yeah, you're good. It was easily the dumbest ejection I think I've seen in, in ages, you know, if not ever.
0: Well, here's the thing. If you didn't see this, and I know it's not a a White Sox player that we're talking about here, but it it speaks to a bigger issue in Major League Baseball, which is no accountability for umpires. Madison Bumgarner is pitching for the Diamondbacks, and he is annoyed about some calls in the first inning. And he's barking at the home plate umpire, and the first base umpire comes down to check his hand. And Bumgarner isn't looking at the first base umpire while he checks his hand. And the umpire just is rubbing his hand repeatedly and staring directly at him, waiting to make eye contact because he wants to fight Bumgarner. It, like the, the ump is trying to instigate an argument when Bumgarner doesn't have a problem with him. But this ump has said, whoa, I would run him, so I'm going to go down and make him do something so I can run him because the home plate guy is not running him. And he looks like one of the robots go crazy in Westworld. That's what he looks like. He looks like the robot is short circuited and it's about to murder you and it's rubbing your hand. Okay. And, and you're in that, that HBO show and, and Bumgarner looks up and he's like, why do you keep rubbing my hand? And he gets thrown out of the game or whatever he said to him. But I mean, it, 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 and it shows Major League Baseball's got a big problem. The umpires continue to make themselves too much of the game. Angel Hernandez trends every time he's calling a game behind home plate. That's a bad thing. If that's happening every time and his calls are that bad, maybe he shouldn't be an umpire anymore. This guy here should be suspended for a week. It was the first inning of a game, and you have a pitcher thrown out of the game that some people might have come to see. He's a pretty good pitcher because you had a bone to pick, and you went and instigated the back and forth between you and him. It's ridiculous, but Major League Baseball will do nothing about it.
1: They'll do something about it. They're going to suspend Mad Bum for a game and fine him.
0: Right. And it's ridiculous, too, because you want to grow the game and you want to keep lowering the time that we're watching the game. You want to make the game fan friendly. The majority, the vast majority of your fans look at that and think it's ridiculous. And so that is not a positive thing that you're putting in front of your fan base. Another thing that people are a little annoyed about is. And I want to get to here. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the White Sox and the minor leagues and what's going on down there. We've got our guest, Michael Swerro from Sox on 35th on the show, and a lot more that I want to cover today about the ballpark and how the team is doing. But one of the other things that's annoying fans are the baseballs. And we've touched upon this humidors in every ballpark. It seems as though the humidors, from a lot of reports, are set for basically warmer weather. And you're not seeing an effect on hitters. In places where they always had humidors, but you're seeing it in the rest of Major League Baseball, and it's definitely affecting the White Sox. I mean, how many times we've we seen 110 miles an hour off the bat die at the warning track? We're seeing it all the time right now, right?
1: Yeah, and, and, and it's it's getting frustrating. It's frustrating for the hitters, but it's also it, it explains why if you look at not just the White Sox, but teams as a whole, you're seeing a lot of hitters who are fly ball hitters that would have had home runs and doubles, stuff that would have hit the wall, landed somewhere, It's dying and it's causing lower batting averages. It's causing home run totals to be low all over the place. And frankly, it makes somebody like Tim Anderson, as we mentioned him going down a tear and hitting some home runs, it makes him hitting balls out consistently to the opposite field that much more impressive because even, uh, you know, in the Cup Series, Jose Abreu's home run, he got that pretty good and it just made the basket. And I know Wrigley can be a weird place, but that off the bat didn't look like it was going to be, you know, just scraping the wall. When he hit it, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing guys with huge exit velocities and not get anything. And it's not just in Chicago; it's it's everywhere, frankly.
0: Well, Scott White of CBS Fantasy, okay, CBSSports.com. He he's in the fantasy uh, area. You know, I I read his articles all the time. We brought him up before because he'll analyze players and he'll analyze trends for fantasy baseball. But what he put out the other day on the website really applies to all of Major League Baseball and the issues the White Sox and other teams who have big time offenses that are sputtering early, what they're going through because of this baseball. And it's it's a really fascinating read, but I kind of wanted to highlight some things that were in it because I thought it was I thought it was great. And it, it tells you that the offense is coming. All right. So in 2021, Major League Baseball started experimenting with different baseballs. This has come out that the ball was not always the same in different ballparks. It was like they were trying to figure something out. Increase in humidors being used, and, and there, some of the things that are going on now, it was already kind of like a, a prelude to it in 2021. And in April, Major League Baseball hitters hit 232 with an OPS of 699. And then as it starts to warm and the humidors have less of a, an effect, Major League Baseball averages move up. Uh, from 232 to as high as 250 before the year is over on a steady increase. So then he looks at what's going on this year, and it's almost a mirror image. Major League Baseball in April of this year, 233 compared to 232 last year. This happened last year. OPS across all of Major League Baseball, 699 in April last year, 678 this year. And what he did notice is Major League Baseball, may want to cut down on strikeouts because strikeouts are down for the first time in like a decade. Like that never happens. Like strikeouts have been going up and up and up and up. And somehow now you're seeing a decrease this year in actual fly balls and home runs. And you're seeing a decrease in strikeouts. And what he's saying is if the trend from last year continues and you could see it this past weekend, this past weekend, You saw runs scored at four and a half runs per game, and it was four per game in all the games leading up to it. There's already kind of a jump where you're starting to see, as it's starting to warm in different parts of the country, you're starting to see the offense start to come back. That offense will return. So my question to you then, Ed... If Major League Baseball was already experimenting with this last year, if the White Sox were aware that humidors were going to be used in all ballparks, and if they knew that offensive numbers might dampen not only at the beginning of the season, but overall, why then was there not more emphasis put on starting pitching when if the ball's not flying out, you want to have a hell of a pitching staff? Well,
1: I think part of the problem is is that the, the rebuild was geared so much around position players that when it came to this offseason, and, and the pitching market wasn't fantastic, it wasn't terrible, but they were already so pot-committed to all of the position players, and unfortunately they had thrown a lot of money at guys like Dallas Keuchel and at the time Craig Kimbrell That even if he wanted to make that switch, I really do think that it gets back to something we were talking about all offseason. Rick Hahn might have had handcuffs on.
0: I am 0 for 4 right now trying to get a pretzel brat inside of the ballpark. I keep searching for it. They never have them. They talked about them like crazy, Ed. I've not been able to oh, get yeah. one of them. No, I can't Can't get a pretzel brat no matter what I do. I've had a real hard time finding some of the, the new food items that are inside of the ballpark. The one thing that I don't have to worry about is when I decide to eat before or after the game, Cork and Carry at the park has me covered. They've got an entire menu of award-winning burgers. They've got ballpark favorites. They've got them at a great price price they've got a full extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers familiar favorites spirits and wines it is the place for pregame, postgame, post-game or just go down there and watch the game if they're home or if they are away cork and carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and princeton the home of socks in the basement when we get out there i love I, that's one of the coolest things is that when we go out we go do something we're at the cork Ed.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's one of the perks of this gig. I mean, you know, sitting here with you talking baseball is great, but, you know, the fact that when I when I go to the ballpark, the cork and carry is right there for me as my my kind of, like, go-to home base. That's that's a much bigger perk.
0: Joining me on the phone line right now, I figured we'd bring him in here and kind of check in on what's going on away from the Major League Club. You never know when somebody's going to join the White Sox during the year. Danny Mendick's back up already because now Andrew Vaughn is on the I.L., And Michael Suero covers all of the minor leagues for Sox on 35th. How are you, Michael? I'm doing
2: great, Chris. Thanks for having me back on the show.
0: Hey, man. uh, First off, I hear you went to Wrigley. Was it for the second game of the two games? What was it like? Because I never go in there anymore. To me, I've gotten to the point where every time I go to a Sox-Cubs game, uh, I am afraid that at some point I will be sucked into some sort of fisticuffs. Like I've just gotten too old for the anger and and the
2: fighting and everything else like that. But was it a good time? Yeah, man, it was a great time. I think uh, going on a weekday, it was a little more tame than it can be out there. So we'll see. Maybe I'll have to go uh, when the Cubs come to uh, the south side uh, later this month. So I'm going to ask you right off
0: the bat. Is there somebody that you're looking at right now in the minor leagues, and and it could be more than one guy, who you are starting to become convinced we're going to see at some point this year and and people are going to see them in a White Sox uniform at the rate?
2: So in terms of guys that we can see this year, I've got two that I've been keeping my eye on. Gilbert Sanchez, who is a middle infielder. We signed him during the international signing period back, I think, in 2019. He was mostly lauded as a as a glove-first middle infielder, but he has been hitting the ball really well so far. His worst season was uh, batting two eighty six last year in high a, and he's just been getting better and better with his bat ever since you know this year he's he started out in double a at 353 got called up to triple a sitting 389 right now and it's
0: interesting as a glove first guy then i would assume that he's going to be able to contribute at multiple positions in the infield if he comes up and it also is kind of a testament to development because that's what I always look for with the socks, especially down there like it's real easy to acquire a player that's already high up on a prospect list which is what we did with an awful lot of the guys that we built this team with it's different to go and find a guy that still needs to work on something and develop that one flaw which was hitting if he's a good glove
2: no exactly most people thought when he got signed his glove was probably MLB ready it was just matter of whether or not he was ever going to be able to figure out hitting the ball. And so far it looks like he has, you know, I don't think he's ever going to hit for more than 10 home runs in the season, but I don't think we necessarily need someone like that. We've got plenty of power in this team already. He can be a contact first guy, you know, kind of like Nick Madrigal was supposed to be for us. That's more than enough.
0: I can't imagine the White Sox thought he was going to jump out so quick early on this season if they went out and spent the money that they put on Larry Garcia for the next couple of years, like they basically went out and got a guy who's going to be a utility guy that can bounce around the infield and they have a guy that it was inexpensive sitting down there. Does it seem to you that they didn't expect this early result from Sanchez?
2: Yeah, there's a few things that they did this off season that confused me, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, (laughs) But in terms of Yolver Sanchez, no, I, I don't think that they expected this type of production miles this soon. I think that if they were going to go someone else internally, it would have been Romy Gonzalez. But I think it's pretty clear that he's jumping most of our other internal options. And personally, he seems like our best you know internal option at second base right now. And that includes Leroy Garcia and Josh Harrison.
0: That's interesting. All right. You said there was another one. You said there were two. Who's I kind of knew about Yolbert Sanchez. I've been paying attention. Who's the other one?
2: Well, the other one is Carlos Perez. He's a catcher that we've got down in AAA right now. We've had him in our organization since 2014, and he's just been someone that's just slowly been rising up the ranks. It took him a few years to get rolling, and last year he really finally had a breakout in A Birmingham. That's a pretty pitcher-friendly park, so 260 with maybe thir- I think 13 home runs. That's a pretty solid season to have. I thought during spring training, he might've had a shot to win the backup catching job before we traded for uh, Reese McGuire. So he ended up getting sent back down to triple-A and all he's done is hit over 300. He's already got seven home runs in 21 games so far this season. I mean, he's hitting the cover off the ball. It wouldn't shock me to see him up at some point, especially you know, God forbid we get an injury to Reese or to Yaz. I think he's the next
0: man up. Well, I think that's the thing. You you wonder when you look at Yasmani Grandal, the uh, what will be done when he probably inevitably has at least a couple of weeks he has to take off. Okay, or Reese McGuire has something to have. I mean, it's pretty hard to get through an entire season with just two catchers. At some point, another guy's got to show up from the minor leagues, and that's, I think, a question that's been in the back of most of our minds. Like, who would that be? So you're, you're saying they've got one. It looks good in AAA. I'm happy with that. So now... In the rest of the system, you know, I mean, there's guys that I was curious about. I mean, Mike Rodolfo, I thought was going to get picked up by another team, and he made it all the way through waivers, ended up back in our system. I would imagine he's hitting well down there, but I haven't seen it. I I would imagine there's guys that look like they're about to take a jump from single A to double A, double A to triple A. Anybody standing out to you right now?
2: First to touch on Mike Rodolfo, he he started out the season a little slow, but now he's back to hitting bombs. So I think he's going to have a pretty solid season in triple A. But the guy that I'm most excited for right now, Brian Ramos, in he's playing for high A Winston-Salem right now, he is just off to a tear down there. I mean, he's hitting like 380 with four or five home runs, and he's playing both uh, second base and third base. Long term, he's probably going to protect more of a third baseman, but he's got the power to stick there, and if he can at least play adequate second base right now, that tells me he's probably going to be a pretty decent defensive third baseman long-term. He's always been a prospect that's got the tools, but seems like he's finally starting to put it all together.
0: You know, Yoki Cespedes, he's a guy that I think some Sox fans wonder with the Pollock deal and the fact that A.J. Pollock could opt out. uh, And he he actually gets money when he opts out. So it seems like it's probably just a one-year deal, but you never know. Some people are wondering, is he just a bridge and Cespedes is going to have a shot out in right field. But he's in AA only right now, and he's off to a little bit of a slow start, 231 with an OPS under 700. That doesn't that doesn't make me think that the guy's going to be ready to start 2023, right?
2: No, I'm not banking on it right now. You know, I, It's still early in the season. I still think he's going to come back and bounce back and he'll have a better season than what he's showing right now. But I don't think that he's someone that we should necessarily pencil in as our opening day right fielder next year either. I mean, again, it's possible he could bounce back strong and then get a call up to AAA and kill it there, too, by the end of the season. Who knows? There's still a lot of the baseball season left this year. But as it stands right now, I'm not going to put all my eggs in his basket. I think it's more likely that they're going to be back on the uh, right field market next off season.
0: Michael Suero is the main guy, but there are several on SoxOn35th.com that are covering the minor leagues. There's wrap-ups of games in the week, and they're keeping track of all the guys that are down there and issuing rankings from time to time. Check all of that out and all of Michael's work at soxon 35com My friend, we will talk again soon.
2: Awesome, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Michael Suero from SocksOn35th.com and every guest on Socks in the Basement is brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit Lamont. Uh, Shop, Dine, Drink, Explore. They have so much going on. This weekend, Quarryman Challenge is happening. It's a 5K and 10-mile race. There's a couple of different uh, options there for you. Challenging course in the unique, scenic, small-town setting that is Lamont. It's going to wind through the neighborhoods and go through historic downtown at the finish. And then it's a big party down there. They've got so much going on in Lamont. Visit lamontdowntown.com today. If you were the White Sox, whether it's Tony LaRusso or Rick Hahn making the decision, and I don't know if this will be announced by the time people listen to the show, but with a day off on Thursday this week, starting a three-game set in Boston, is it too early in the season? Is it too taxing on the arms to skip Dallas Keichel and keep everybody on regular rest? Like, because you could skip a guy with the day off and keep everybody going once every five days, and just skip him because he's terrible and I don't think he's going to be on the team very long. Would you do that? It would be Saturday's game. You'd have Cease going on Saturday instead of him. Well, that's traditionally
1: what a fifth starter is. And that's what Dallas Keichel is on this team is he's got to be considered the fifth starter. So yes, you can absolutely skip your fifth starter every so often when you have those days off, when you're keeping guys on the regular rest and you don't have to Pitch them. And and traditionally, your fifth starter was usually somebody who was, you know, essentially a glorified long reliever or was somebody that was, you know, a rookie and maybe a fringy prospect, wasn't somebody that you were necessarily thinking had anything. Maybe they earned their way onto the team in spring training or they're a veteran that really is on their way down and you're trying to save their arm anyway. So, considering at this point in the season, the only other guy whose arm you're trying to save is Michael Kopeck who they have not let go much past the fifth inning anyway, or Lance Lynn, who's not on the mound yet and is actually getting his arm saved because of the knee rehab, there is no reason to sit there and say we're going to start Dallas Keuchel to try and preserve somebody or give somebody a little extra rest because Cease and Giolito are perfectly healthy. Kopech is perfectly healthy. If you're throwing Vince Velasquez in there still, he's fine physically. Uh, and and you have, I frankly, at this point, I have more faith in Velasquez than I do in Keuchel.
0: Yeah, I know. And you're going to have Kelly coming and Moncada and likely Cueto all within the week. And at that point, I don't even know why Dallas Keuchel's on the team. There's people arguing like Jerry Reinstorf won't eat that money, but, you know, it was around this time in the season when he ate the John Denks contract at the end. And that was a that was a solid amount of money as well. So I don't know. I mean, if it were me, I, I that'd be it for him. I'd bring up Cueto if I felt good about him. He, he doesn't look bad at all down in the minor leagues. I think he's giving you a better shot. When I'm, when I'm speaking about Kelly coming up, that's another guy in the bullpen that Tony can use late in the game. And when you see Matt Foster go out there late in the game against the Cubs, I want to say, on Wednesday night and not Aaron Bummer in that big situation. That tells me that a manager that really has kind of told these guys, whatever you did for anybody else before me doesn't matter. It's what did you do when I was the manager? Tony's always seemed that way. We've talked about that ever since he got here on this team. It's why I feel like Adam Engel doesn't get the looks that he probably should get because he spent a lot of time being injured and Tony had other guys that he trusted because those were the guys he saw in person. And I, that might be changing because I'm seeing Adam get used a lot more in the outfield, which is a good thing. But I'm wondering whether or not the two years or the year and a, a month or so that Tony La Russa has seen of Aaron Bummer makes him think this guy is streaky. And sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's bad. And I'd rather just use him in the fifth or sixth because I'm not putting him in those last three innings. Because I don't know if I would, if I were, if I were Larusa, and I lived in a world of this is all I've ever seen of a guy, what he's seen. He saw a bad stretch by bummer last year. He's seeing a bad stretch by bummer right now. And he's got Graveman and Hendricks and Kelly on the way. And I know that that's probably still your best left-handed pitcher that's coming out of the bullpen. But I don't see him getting used late anymore for a while, if ever.
1: I think it's very telling that you keep seeing, even when Matt Foster came in against the Cubs, you're right, it was against the Cubs, he came in to relieve Bummer because Bummer was attempting to go multiple innings. I've seen him do that with Bummer a lot so far this year, where he's put Aaron Bummer out there to try and give him a couple of innings. And I part of me kind of wonders if he looks at Aaron Bummer and says, this is a guy who's got a pitch to contact, he's not necessarily always a strikeout guy. I'm wondering if he's trying to sort something out with Aaron Bummer and Ethan Katz where – Bummer becomes more of a long guy because he's not a strikeout guy, because he's streaky, because he pitches to contact. And we saw in the Astros series in the playoffs where if you don't have the guys lined up correctly, Bummer can get ground balled to death. And right now, of course, he's getting line drive to death because he's just giving up these huge hits. I haven't seen him use Bummer the way I would expect him to use a late inning reliever, which is, one inning or come in in a high-leverage situation and try and get somebody out. He's done that a little bit, but I keep seeing him try and stretch him out. So that, that makes me question you know, whether or not he views him as a setup guy the way we've expected him or if he's just going to sit there and go between Kelly when he gets back, Graveman, who has been pretty much lights out, and a guy like Matt Foster who's hot and who I think Tony really likes and feels bad that he sort of wrecked him last year by throwing him in a, you know an untenable situation – against the Angels early on in the season, I think he's going to look at these guys and go, these are the guys I want to use. And even somebody like Tanner Banks might slide in there because he's doing much better right now than Bummer and is capable of getting outs in a more conventional fashion.
0: Yeah, I forgot about him. I think he's the best lefty right now that Tony has. (laughs) <laughs> like, I mean, right uh, by far, like that, yeah, and, and, I mean,
1: I don't think there's any competition for him. Really. I, I,
0: I don't want to, I don't want to put a fork in Aaron bummer and say he's done right. I've seen him have some really nice streaks coming out of the bullpen and leading up to the 2021 season. I mean, I remember the off season, the sacks go out and they get Hendricks after 2020 in the shortened season and MLB network ran a thing like the top 10 relief pitchers right now. And it was nine closers and Aaron Bummer was 10. Hendricks was one and right. Bummer was 10. And they're like, look at the White Sox. They have two potential closers. He will never come anywhere near a list like that again after. Like, he's not at that level anymore in my mind. But he's still a, he's still a guy who can give you something. But it is interesting to kind of watch how Tony's using him. And I think that, you know, for all of his, his good and his bad, one of the things that I really feel Tony Larusa does is, He looks at a guy and he can just as much as he can fall in love with a guy who say is a bench player who really shouldn't be playing every day because he was a bench player and that guy does something special and he falls in love with him for way too long. He can also fall out of love with somebody very quickly as well based upon what he's seen in his time as manager, not the guy's overall career stats. So I'm really interested to see how Bummer is used moving forward. Before we get out of here, I have a new segment I want to debut, Ed. And I I'm I'm searching for a name. I gotta be honest. I'm searching for a name. I'm not exactly sure what to call this thing. Uh I think I'm just gonna go with uh bone-headed decisions at guaranteed rate field.
1: Uh, that's a little wordy. That that's kind of wordy. But that's wordy? Yeah, a little wordy. What do, what do you have? Guaranteed stupid.
0: <laughs> it's now time for guaranteed stupid. And The music you hear in the background sounds like something a clown would walk around to because I feel like sometimes the policies and the way that things happen at Guaranteed Rate Field at White Sox home games are kind of a clown show. And I'm going to tell you another story about something that makes no sense when you're a fan walking into the ballpark. It continues to tell me that the White Sox don't want you to spend more money. The restaurant, I know there's like a Sports Depot that's along the third base line, and there's that bridge that goes over into the ballpark, okay, right, on the third base side. And they also have a restaurant there, and I can't remember what it's called. And normally I'm cork and carry at the park at the beginning of the day, cork and carry after the day. And my father, it was his first game on Monday, and he's all nervous, he wants to get into the ballpark, he doesn't wanna miss anything. We just went to the cork afterwards. And as we're walking in, we go through the metal detectors, we take out our keys, we show our tickets, we get scanned, we walk into the ballpark, and he goes, you know what, we've got a little bit of time, Let's get a beer in this place. I haven't been in it. And there's a door right there when you walk in the gate. Right after you walk in the gate, there's a welcoming open door to go into that bar. So we walk into the bar. There's nobody sitting at the door. There's no signage at the door. You just walk into the bar. We sit down. We have a couple of beers. We watch the pregame on the television. We say, okay, fine. We're going to walk out of here, right? As we walk back to the same door that continue our, our trek to our seats, there's a guy standing there, and he won't let you back through that door. No, I have to leave the ballpark, he says, and go back through the metal detectors again and get back in line. And I I looked at him and I was like, that's pretty crazy. And he goes, oh, those are the things. Give me your tickets and I'm going to reactivate your tickets. He's got a machine that makes my ticket valid again. I don't know if it's going to be valid or not. I mean, imagine the fear. My dad was like just nervous, Ed. Right. I look at him before I walk out and I go, hey, man, I don't want to fight. I understand you got a job to do. but Why? Why can't I go back through? And he goes, well, Major League Baseball says you have to go through a metal detector. And I looked at him and I said, well, why wouldn't you just put a metal detector at this door? And he just kind of shrugged at me. He's like, I don't know. And it's, that's the whole thing. You funnel people into something where you know that they have a financial interest in. You want people to spend money there but you make it so inconvenient to throw them back out of the ballpark. What if what if the ticket scan thing doesn't work? What if I have to wait a half hour because the line's gotten long? Would I ever go back into that restaurant before a game again? I'm not going to do it because I know I'm going to get thrown out of the ballpark and not walk through the door. Why have the door there inside the ballpark to walk into that restaurant if you can't walk back in to the ballpark and there's no way to do it?
1: So let me get this straight. You already go through the metal detector. You're already scanned. You're already checked out. You've done, you've done all of your bit. To sit there and say, "I am keeping my fellow Sox fans and baseball game goers safe." Right. You you walk into a, a a part of the stadium. This is not this is not you walking back out of the stadium like through a doorway or something like that. This is no. this is built into
0: the actual structure. It's next to the escalator to go up to the next level. It's sitting there right. inside the ballpark doors. You walk in the ballpark, and then there's a door that takes you into the place. But from there, from inside of the ballpark,
1: you cannot walk out of there to go back into any other part of the ballpark. You have to walk outside and come back in.
0: Right. I have to leave the ballpark. I have to leave the ballpark and start all over again. And I have to hope that the guy who's scanning the ticket does his little, little doo That right. it actually reactivates my ticket and I don't get rejected after I go back out and stand in the line to come back in. Like, would you feel comfortable spending money in there... Or would you say that seems like a lot of hassle and something could go wrong? I might as well just go upstairs. And that's why I question the way that things are run there. Because once again, I've been told, don't spend money here. Go go someplace else. And it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure all the local bars and restaurants around the area appreciate the fact that they make it so uninviting. But like that's another policy that makes no sense inside that ballpark right now. Buy a metal detector. Think of the money you'll make if you just buy one metal detector and put it at that door, so people can walk in and out. The amount of extra people that will go spend money at that attraction inside of your ballpark. Wait, do they even give you anything metal that you could be taking into the ballpark from there? No. And the metal detector never goes off when I leave my my money clip in my pocket anyway, so I don't even think they're on. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> that, that's a whole different that's that's a whole different segment of this. Socks in the basement.